We're going to um, continue the conversation tug of war today. And we're going to, um, this is the last two weeks of this uh, series that we've been in, this conversation we've been in about a biblical worldview and what we, what as believers, as, as, um, as followers of Christ, what filter are we going to use to, to make our decisions? And we, we've covered stuff like, where do we come from? What should our, where do we get our identity? What about our purpose and calling? And, and we've covered a lot of those things. We've covered morality, we've covered that the last couple of weeks. Today, we're going to talk about what comes next, eternity. And it's actually a very unique conversation because uh, the American culture is shifting on this. And, uh, and it's important for the church to understand that. And so we're going to talk about uh, what's next. Eter- what, what, that, that is believers, as followers of Christ, we believe in eternity. And we, we also believe there's only two options. Amen? Okay, if you're not convinced yet, we'll try at the end of the 40 minutes. I'm going to read a verse of scripture or a portion of scripture that may not seem it has a lot to do with heaven, but um, it's a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee uh, named Nicodemus. He was also a part of the ruling class, the Sanhedrin, who um, kind of governed Jewish religious life. And he has a conversation with him in the middle of the night at dark. And, and their conversation is enlightening to us about eternity. And so we're going to read from John chapter three. We're going to start in verse one and we're going to find out what Jesus and Nicodemus talk about. So why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word. And we'll start John chapter three, verse one. Here we go. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to, the, to him, "How can these things be?" Jesus answered him, "Are you, are you the teacher of Israel?" And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things that you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the famous John 3, 16. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy son, of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, we pray that we take advantage of being in your presence. God, we're here, you're here, we're looking into your word. And we pray that we would allow you to transform us by it. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I told you this man named Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means like, like a lay leader who, was, who spent all of their energy knowing the law and, and carrying out the law in their life out to the very extreme detail of it. They were detail-oriented people. They also call him a ruler, which probably meant he was part of the Sanhedrin, which meant now he had some authority to enforce um, religious practices in Israel. So this is not, this is not a nobody meeting Jesus at night. There's a lot of speculation that, that he met him at night under the cover of darkness because he didn't want, he didn't want to be seen with Jesus, didn't want to, didn't want to, because there's a ton of controversy at this point in time about Jesus doing all these things and some claims he'd made. And, and now to, for Nicodemus to be seen with him could be, could be bad for Nicodemus, but there's also a side that, that maybe Nicodemus came at night because, because the crowds pressed around Jesus during the day. Maybe he wanted a, maybe he wanted a more of a, a private meeting with Jesus. So really that is neither here nor there. What we, what we know is that he picked the night. So now there's this uninterrupted conversation there's nobody tugging on Jesus' robe. There's nobody, there's no disciples saying, hey, we got to go. There's, there's no interruption. It's just Jesus and Nicodemus and they're having a conversation, which is a really cool thing to think about. Just him and Jesus standing there. Nicodemus starts out, hey, we, we know you're from God. You're doing, you're doing some, you're doing some stuff. Like we're seeing you. We've heard reports we know you're doing some things now. I don't know if Nicodemus was letting the cat out of the bag, going, hey, we know you're from God, and, and we're trying to get our heads wrapped around this. But he makes this kind of confession up front. And, and Jesus responds with a, with what would have been a very strange comment. Okay, how many of you have heard the, the, the term born again? Oh. It's pretty popular, isn't it? Hashtag born again. Um, do you realize that term born again is, is relatively new in, in the history of mankind? 
So Jesus said, unless a man be born again. But that term to define what we would call evangelical Christians didn't come along till way later, thousands of years later. And it was made popular um, first in the, around the 1950s by a guy named Bill Bright, I believe. And, and he made the, he kind of coined the term born again, brought it into modern vernacular. And then, and then it became even more popular up in the seventies to where evangelicals started saying, oh, I'm born again. Are you a born again believer? Are you a born again believer? And we take it all the way back to Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. And when you go to your friends who have no idea about Jesus, never heard about, never went to church, you say, I'm born again. They go, that's dumb. It's the same response Nicodemus had. You tell somebody that has never, by the way, all of us know people that have never been to church. True. All of us know people that have never had a conversation about Jesus. All of us know people, unless you're in one of those weird born again bubbles. All of us know people like that. And if you get, man, I'm born again. They're like, mm. So Jesus says this to Nicodemus and he's like, I don't want to. I mean, he literally starts to have an anatomy class with Jesus. How can me as a grown man go back into my mother's womb? Did you think about it before you said it, Jesus? This is a strange conversation. And Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. And Jesus ends up telling him, hey, like you got this thing all wrong. I'm not talking about being born of water. I'm talking about being born of the spirit. You have your earthly birth. You have your birth by your mother. But there's another birth that you're missing out on. And that's, that's a new life given to you by me, by Jesus. And he says that, that the one that descended from heaven can do this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's telling Nicodemus this is the way. Now, let me transition from their conversation into what would have been a given in their conversation. And that is eternity. Nicodemus was not questioning eternity. Jesus was presenting a way to be in the kingdom of God that Nicodemus had never considered before. Remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is Old Testament, let's call it. Nicodemus is like, I'm getting there because I'm going to obey every ounce of the law every second of the day. But, but hey, listen, you and I know that Nicodemus wasn't perfect at it. You know that? Just like you and I aren't perfect at it. And so what Jesus says is, is hey, Nicodemus, listen to me. Unless you're born of the Spirit, all these things that you're trying to do to be good, aren't going to get you there. Now, the thing that's missing is an explanation of eternity because they would have agreed on what eternity consisted of. Jesus as a Jewish man and Nicodemus as a Jewish man, there wasn't a controversy. They weren't, Jesus wasn't going, hey, you know, there's a heaven and a hell. And Nicodemus was like, well, I don't know about that. No, it had been a given. And so there wasn't, so the, the, the new idea wasn't that there was a heaven and a hell. The new idea was you can have new life through the son of God. 
Nicodemus is now, now not presented with, oh, I just found out there's a hell. No, he's, he's wrestling with the idea that now I can receive grace through Jesus, through this man standing in front of me. And this is a brand new concept. So what we find in this conversation is when we read it is that the two men agreed that there was a kingdom of God to be, to be gained in eternity or there was a condemnation to be experienced in eternity. There was two options presented in that conversation and that's it. Look at your neighbor and say, that's it. Two options. Two options. Here's the reality of where we live today. If you got 2,000 people together and did a survey about who believes in heaven and who believes in hell, you would get a very wide-ranging group of stats. And here's why. If you grew up in an evangelical church, anybody grew up in an evangelical church? Like Baptist church like this, maybe non-denominational Christian church. Okay, you grew up with that church. Okay, guess what? 90% of you believe in heaven and hell. Go ahead and give yourself a hand. Yeah, it's amazing. Sunday school did really good things for you. 90% of you believe in heaven and hell. You know what the issue is? There's less and less of you every day. There's just in the last decade, uh, I read the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest group of evangelicals in America, has declined over 2 million in the last decade. So while 90% of us evangelicals will hold our standard up, the issue is there's less of us on, in the United States now. So while we do believe there's a heaven and a hell, there's less of us proclaiming there's a heaven and a hell. Are you following me? Now, the stats don't get better. When you look at all of the denomination, all the Catholic and all, like, like Catholics believe there's a heaven and a hell. That's a good thing. The majority of people that attend a church believe there's a heaven and a hell. But the reality is there's fewer people attending church. So when you get to unaffiliated people, that means they're, they don't do church. They don't even think about church. They don't, they're not associated with the church. That number drops so low that it's shocking. If you're unaffiliated, you don't go to a church, you don't think about church, you don't, you don't think about God, you're, you're not concerned about it, you're just living your life, you're doing what you do, then that number drops unaffiliated, Pew Research in 2021, unaffiliated, 37% of people believed in heaven and 28% believed in hell. Think about that. So here's what happens. When we say that 67% of Americans believe in heaven and hell, somewhere around that number, let's call it 67% believe that heaven is a real place of Americans. The number that skews that to make it that high is also the number that's shrinking. Are you following me? I didn't mean to have a statistics class this morning, but we got to look at this. We got to look at this the right way. So, we, so if you just look at the raw numbers, you say, well, 67% of people still believe in heaven. That's enough to get anybody elected, right? 67%, 67%. 
The trouble is the number of people attending a church or affiliated with a church or that believe in Jesus is declining in the United States. So over the next 10 years, if something doesn't happen, that 67% is going to get squished down closer to that 38%. Are you following me? The only thing that's happened so far is that the evangelicals haven't died yet. Because we're not gaining ground. There's less people attending an evangelical church today than there was 10 years ago. Than there was five years ago. So you're starting to see that number go down and down and down and down. So you say, what's the issue? Whether they believe in heaven and hell or not. You know, Jesus will save them. Hold on, we're going to get to that. We're going to start here first. I need everybody in the room to understand one thing. You were created for eternity. All right. You were, I, I've bumped into tons of people and, ha, and, and been friends with tons of people that, that you start talking about eternity. They're like, Chris, you just die, man. It's over. You just die and it's over. That's a hard thing to deal with when somebody just goes, hey, man, you die and it's over. It's just done. There's nothing else past this. Well, we find out when we read scripture, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. There's something in us that looks past where we are. But there's a comma there, and there's this statement that doesn't make sense with this. He says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning of the end to the end. Okay, so the writer of Ecclesiastes said, he put eternity in your heart, but he didn't give you the whole picture yet. Like, you can't predict what's going to happen to, oh, yeah, you, I know you're going to get up and go to work. You may be able to get 50% of it right. But you can't predict everything that's going to happen tomorrow. True? You, you can't predict what's going to happen in 10 years. You can't predict what's going to happen in, in the next 30 minutes. I'm unpredictable. <laughs> so what happens is this. On the earth, we wrestle in this thing. And here's what it sounds like. It sounds like this with everybody you talk to, regardless of whether they're atheists, regardless of whether they don't believe in heaven and hell, regardless of they're evangelical, Catholic, Lutheran, it doesn't matter. Here's the conversations you hear. And this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about. People say things like this. I wonder what all that means. You heard people say that before? Do you remember the double rainbow guy? Tears rolling down his face, he's double rainbow. Because what does it mean? Okay, well, listen to me. If there's no heaven and no hell and no eternity, who cares? It's a double rainbow, idiot. Just enjoy it. There's nothing past it. There's no pot of gold. There's no leprechaun. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's nothing. Just enjoy the rainbow. It's today. But everybody we're around will say, I don't know what that means. Why did that happen? Why does that happen? Do you hear that? You hear it in your daily people that wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't come in the doors of a church, wouldn't have a religious conversation, are asking those type of questions. What does that mean? Why would something like that happen? As if there was something else out there. Do you know how many people want to believe that there's UFOs and there's aliens already here? 
Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the West Virginia thing. Mothman. Sorry, Concord. We have our own mythical creature. Because we were designed to transcend this life. So even if we don't embrace that idea, it's in us to think about it. What happens? Why would that happen? Why does this happen? Why does this, why did that happen? What do you, what, ah, how does it all fit together? How does it make sense? How does it? Well, listen, if there's nothing after this, why do we even consider it? Well, why, why would we even, it's, it's all pointless, like double rainbow. Who cares? Go back to work. But because humankind, whether you believe in God or not, whether you ever darken the door of a church or not, because God made us in his image and put eternity in us, even though we don't understand it all, even though we don't know the beginning from the end, even though we don't, we can't make sense of it all in our current state, he still put it in us to desire it. To still want to make sense of it. To still want to find out what's next. And when we reject that, we're rejecting part of God in us. So let me make a couple correlations. It would make sense to me that as, the, as America rejects the idea of eternity. And much more in eternity with God, the depression rates go up. Are you hearing me? When crisis happens, 2020, 2021, when crisis happens and we become less confident that there's a future hope, we become more depressed with our current circumstance. That's why a lot of what Paul's writing is, is don't, don't be depressed by your current circumstance but glorify in it because, because God's not going to leave you there. Amen? So as you see the culture shift from, from, from a more of a Bible-based belief that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and there is a Savior to get us there... As we shift from that, then we go into a hopeless circumstance that when it's over, it's over. But there's this nagging thing that's still in us. How do I make sense of it all? Well, here's the truth, church. You can't without him. Because the part that he put in us, if you ignore it, is the part that will stay broken. It's the part that will stay broken. And so... Mankind was never created for a temporary existence. Adam and Eve were created for eternity. Even after the fall. Even after they sinned against God. Before the foundations of the earth. It's put in place for God to redeem us through Jesus. In Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, the idea of eternity would have been a given. Jesus presented the path to heaven and eternity in God's presence through the picture of new birth, of faith in Christ that brings new life here on earth and eternal life after this. This is what stumped Nicodemus, not the idea of eternity, 
but the idea that it would be through Christ, through the Son of God, that he would receive it. So, what were the two realities that they agreed on? Only two. Look at your neighbor and say, just two. Just two. That's important. Just two. I don't think God has a time out. Eternity is made up of two realities. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that eternal life is to be experienced in God's presence where there is no pain, no weeping, no more evil. Revelation chapter 21 explains it. What this new reality is going to look like for those who believe in Jesus. And let me tell you something. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. And then there's another reality we're given a picture of that, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and, away, and from the glory of his might. So now we have a picture. He, he presents two scenarios, belief in him and eternal life or, or already condemned. Oh, and you're like, oh, now you're preaching hellfire and brimstone, Chris. You better be careful. It's 2023. <laughs> if it was 2019, I could get away with it. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus becomes very clear. Now, I need, I need to make sure for, for some of you who go back and read this. All right. Depending on what translation of the Bible you use, we are currently using the ESV translation, but if you use an NIV or some other translation, John 3.16 is attributed, can be attributed to two different people. Okay? Anybody have a red letter version of the Bible? Okay. So what happens is some translations attribute John 3.16 to Jesus still talking. Jesus being the telling that narrative to Nicodemus for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Other translations attribute it to John, the author of the book. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter because whether Jesus said it or John said it, it's still beautiful. It's still true. Okay. But I needed to put that in there because I want you to understand that when you read some translations and other translations, you may see it in red letters and other translations you may not. And it may look like John saying it, but in some translations it may look like Jesus is saying it. So either way it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, John or Jesus is saying, God loved us so much. He put eternity in us. He loved us so much that in our condemned state, he sent his son, Jesus, into the world. You following me? So listen, if, if it's true that Jesus is saying this, he's saying it to Nicodemus. Now picture this, it's night, it's dark, and he's saying it to Nicodemus. It's the first time Nicodemus would have heard anything like this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I think Nicodemus started realizing he's standing in front of me. He sent his only son that whosoever believes in him. Remember the conversation, how it started? Nicodemus approaches him and says, we know you're from God because nobody can do the things you do without being from God. And now Jesus has now turned the conversation and says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's one reality. 
And in Sunday school, you learned John 3.16, for those of you that had the Sunday school experience. But not many, of, not many learned the verses after that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's a beautiful thing. So God didn't send Jesus to condemn us. Jesus was the way that we would escape condemnation. And then there's a shocking verse after that. It says, so if you believe in him, you will not be condemned. But if you don't believe in him, you're condemned already. It didn't say about, well, you're super nice. You're a good parent. You made a lot of money. You never, you never, you never kept your fence off the neighbor's property. I mean, these are big deals. No, it said without the savior, we were already condemned. Two realities, eternal life in the presence of God and the kingdom of God with Jesus, eternal life in what we would call heaven. I'm not going to go through down a big list of, of what that looks like, but here are a couple things. All things will be restored to what they originally were supposed to be. So remember the whole Adam and Eve thing in the presence of God, just living it up, naming some animals, working, doing the right thing. It was just an amazing experience. We're, we're going to be restored back to that. So there's, there's not going to be any, any, anything between us. You won't have to ask for forgiveness. Every 30 seconds, you won't have to do it anymore. You're like, I don't even remember the last time I sinned. It's because there will be none. There won't even be an opportunity. You know what's so crazy? You know why we can't fathom? You know why I know eyes see no ears heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. You know why we can't fathom it? Because none of us have ever experienced a second without the presence of evil. I'm not saying you were doing the evil, but you've never been part of a, you've never been part of an environment where evil wasn't even an option. You've never experienced that before. You put five people in the room and evil's there. You look around, figure out which one it is. But if you put five people in the room, there's a measure of it. Can you imagine? We can't even fathom what that would be like. Never Never having to sign another contract because there's no way anybody could break it. Never having to check on anybody, never having to doubt, never having to. It's a concept that is so foreign to us, and it is the never being a disappointment, never being a pain, never being any pain. For people like me who hate crying, never having to choke back another tear. I work hard at it. It's this, it's this, it's called heaven. Everything will be restored to the perfect scenario that God had placed in the beginning. Jesus will reign forever. You've never experienced, you've never experienced a ruler that had perfect motivations, perfect actions, perfect results. Everything about him was absolutely perfect, never made a mistake. You've never experienced a politician like that, (laughs) ever. We've never elected anybody. We've never, we don't know how to fathom it. That's heaven. 
Evil will be eradicated. There will be purpose and work. The calling, the purpose of God in our life will be fleshed out in a perfect environment, in a perfect way. You will be at your best. And it'll be beyond our comprehension. That's a scenario that he was presenting to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you now find this through me. And the Father sent me, not just for you, but for all who will believe. Because Jesus came not to condemn us, but to say, come on. Come on. This is what salvation looks like. This is what freedom looks like. Come on, you can taste it here. You can taste it here. But you don't get the whole cake until later. We can get a taste of it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We can get a, we can get a sample portion. Bring me out the appetizer, Lord. Bring me out a little bit of sample. And he can free us from addiction. He can free us from sin. He can free us. He can provide freedom as much as we can experience here on earth to give us a window into what eternity looks like. And then he provides a second scenario. The already condemned. Is this making sense to you? Watch this. So listen, without Jesus here on this earth, we are getting a glimpse of what condemnation looks like. Addiction. Perversion. Crime. We're getting a glimpse. Hatred. We're getting a glimpse without Jesus. What does this look like? And you know what the irony is? You know what the irony is? Even people who don't know Jesus, when when their communities start to collapse, they all rise up and say, we don't like it. Do you remember growing up in a neighborhood? You're like, boy, when I was a part of this neighborhood, it was nice. 50 years ago, this is a good neighborhood. And now it's went to trash. Now you can't, you can't sit out on the front porch anymore. Now you can't do this. Now you can't do this. Stole the wheels off my car last year. You know what I'm saying? So, so here's the thing. We're getting a glimpse into what it looks like. And even those who don't believe in hell don't like it. But there's only two alternatives. We get a taste of what heaven looks like and we go, man, this is freedom. And then we get a taste of what hell looks like and we go, oh, we don't want any of this. But then when it comes to the conversation, do the two exist? The world goes, ah, forget that. Just forget that. So what we would call hell, the already condemned. Mankind, I need you to understand this. Mankind condemned itself by rejecting God. That's what we did. We rejected God. So this is what hell exists of eternity excluded from the presence of God. Eternity without peace, eternity without good, eternity with equal but opposite qualities of heaven. So as much peace that will be in heaven, there will be equal amounts of chaos in hell. You say, Chris, this is pretty, this is pretty, uh, pretty dramatic. I'm trying to be pretty dramatic because this is my concern. 
the tug of war we're seeing is not whether Jesus is a savior today. It's, is there a heaven and a hell where we even need to have a conversation about Jesus? You see how slick it got? Do you see how, do you see how, do you see how manipulative it just snuck around the backside? Because for decades we were like, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way. The majority of people believed in heaven and hell. And Jesus is the way to get there. It was easy for the church to walk out and say, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And people are like, man, I remember being a teenager going, I don't want to go to hell. 40 years ago, that was logical, wasn't it? It was like, do you want to go to hell? No. No, I'm just like, I don't want to go to hell. I want to do what I want to do right now, but I don't want to go to hell. That's another debate. 40 years ago, people weren't, they were, you didn't bump into a lot of people that say, hey man, heaven's going to, we were singing about it. Highway to places and stairways to places. I'm questioning every single one of you right now. Jesus and Nicodemus were not debating eternal life or man's kind, ultimate destinations. Jesus was introducing God's grace to him. Today, the issue is the debate has shifted. We're not debating on how to get to heaven. We're debating on its actual existence. So I told you earlier, 90% of evangelicals believe in a literal heaven. But the number of evangelicals in the United States is plummeting faster than you can ever imagine. The debate, the debate, if we let it go on like it is, the debate, if we, if it goes on, will erase the need for a savior. What am I being saved from? There is nothing after this. I don't need any of that. So listen to this, the Gallup poll, which which is obviously not a, it's not Pew Research, it's not Lifeway, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a secular Statistics company, the Gallup poll, in 2001 recorded that 83% in the United States believed in heaven and 71 believed in hell. 71% believed in hell. Oh, give yourself a hand. 2001. Back in the day. Man. 22 years later. 2023, 67% believed in heaven. 59% believe in hell. You say, but Pastor Chris, that's still a majority. It won't be for long. It won't be for long. Satan has changed the debate. Not whether Jesus is legitimate. You say, do you believe in Jesus? Oh yeah, it's fine. Do you believe in hell? Nope. What do I need Jesus for if I don't believe in hell? What what, What do we need him for if there's not a hell to be delivered from? Pew Research, listen to this. This is so important about the way we approach people that don't know Jesus and don't have a church affiliation. Listen to me. Pew Research of 2021. If you're unaffiliated with a church body, you've been unaffiliated with a church body or a religious belief, 37% believe in heaven and 28% believe in hell. So, So you know when the church walks in and says, you're going to hell and you need Jesus to save you, they go, A quarter of people that don't go to church believe in hell. That's not even an argument. That's not even a a way to go, hey, Jesus loves you and he wants to deliver you from hell. Well, I don't believe in hell. 
Well, he's still going to deliver you from it. The church has to wake up to the idea that people that believe in the foundations of what we believe in, it's shrinking to the point where the old argument to come to Christ doesn't exist anymore. Are you following me? So, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? The band's going to come up. I'm going to leave you with this. Jesus stood in the synagogue and read from Isaiah. I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He said, he basically, I've been given the power to proclaim freedom to captives. To set the prisoner free, bind up the brokenhearted, all these things. So watch. When Jesus walked up to a man that was blind, he didn't say, you believe in hell? You believe in heaven? He said, do you want to see? When he walked up to the man with leprosy, he didn't say, do you believe in hell and heaven? No, he said, do you? He just reached out and touched him. The woman that was being on the verge of being stoned to death. He didn't walk up and say, I need to find out if you believe in heaven and hell. No, he delivered her from her circumstance. Okay. We're going to talk about this next week. Heaven, the belief in heaven and hell is important for us. It's our, it's our motivator. The Bible says that God is not slow as some people think of slowness but he is patient, wanting that none would suffer. So he's taking his time to redeem as many people as possible. Okay, so we may not be able to go out anymore and debate with people whether it's like, you know there's a hell, you know you could go to hell because, because the thing has shifted so far that people don't even believe in it. But here's what we can do. We can do the same thing Jesus did. When you walk up to somebody with addiction and say, Jesus can set you free. When the church, when the church gets our faith back and our, and our strength back and the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and we're able to walk up to people who are suffering and say, hey, you know what? I believe in a God that can heal you in this moment here and I'm willing to pray for you if you would let me do that. The heaven and hell thing is a motivator for us to do that, but it doesn't have to be a criteria to talk to somebody. We have to know what we believe and it has to be a motivator for us to want to talk to other people. And I'm praying this morning that the fact that there's a heaven and to gain and a hell to shun, that's the way we used to say it would motivate a church to stand up and go, hey, listen, I don't want anybody missing. I don't want anybody missing it. I don't want anybody missing it. I don't want anybody missing it. Jesus gave a perfect mind to walk up to people and say, you're going to hell. You know you're going to hell. You know you're going to hell. You know you're going to hell. And he said, I came to proclaim freedom. Are you bound up today? There's freedom for you. Are you sick today? There's healing for you. 
Are you depressed today? There's peace for you. Jesus' presence is here to do something you, you can't fathom. Give you a taste of what eternity with him is like. Peace that passes all understanding. That's the message of the church. Do we believe in heaven and hell? Absolutely. And it should be a great motivator for us to proclaim the gospel. But when we get to people, we say, he wants to give you a taste of what eternity with him looks like. That is the message of hope. Amen. That's the message that we get to carry. I want us to do it as hard as we can do it. As powerful as we can do it. Here's what I know. Every time we respond to him in faith, he responds to us with power. He responds to our faith with his power. And it could change this community. It could change Berkeley Springs. It could change Concord. It could change wherever we take it. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Lord, we see the writing on the wall. We see where our culture is going. We see this shift away from a belief in eternity, a shift away from a belief in heaven and hell. We see the shift. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to respond to it with your grace and your mercy, and more importantly, your power. God, that we can introduce people to you. Lord, through your grace, through your mercy, and through your power. Lord, we thank you that you've saved us. We thank you that you've set us free. We thank you that we have the hope of eternal life. And Lord, we pray that because of that, it would radiate through us to the people around us. Lord, help us to change one person at a time. Help us to introduce one person at a time to you. And Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today for that saving grace. And we offer you praise and honor in Jesus' name, in the name above all names, in the only name by which men can be saved, in the only name that we inherit eternal life. We thank you for it. Amen and amen. Can you give him thanks this morning? Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody on your way out. Be determined to minister his grace to somebody this week. We'll see you back next week.